Hello, Central fans. I'm Trevor Castle. There's no name more synonymous with Central College Athletics than legendary football coach and athletic director Ron Skipper. As the voice of the Dutch for more than 20 years now, one of my regrets is that I never got a chance to meet Skip before he passed in 2006. I know that he won a bunch of games at Central, 287 to be exact, that every one of his 36 seasons was a winning one, and that ESPN ranked him as one of the best college football coaches of all time. But I wanted to know more about who Skip was, on the field and off. So on our next two episodes of Dutch Memories, I've collected Skipper stories from a number of people who played for, coached with, or worked with Skip throughout his career. I've sorted the stories into two buckets. This episode is about Ron Skipper, the coach, on the field. Our next episode will be about Ron Skipper, the man, off the field. Of course, with a guy like Skip, the coach, and the man certainly blend together, but I've done my best to parse them out. We're going to go mostly in chronological order, starting with Dick Bowser, Central College class of 1965, who played for Skip in high school in Michigan, came to play for the Dutch on his first teams in Pella, then stuck around and coached with him for the rest of Skip's career. A ball of fire. <laughs> uh, dog with a big bark, but uh, didn't really bite you very often. <laughs> he was all business. He didn't, he didn't like losing, and uh, he believed in a few things, one of which was preparation, and another one was uh, don't throw the football unless you absolutely have to there. A ton of things that can go wrong. I mean, it can be intercepted. It can be incomplete. You know, you can get sacked. You know, all these different things. Only one good thing can happen is you can catch the ball. So there's a lot more bad possibilities than good. So passing is to be avoided. In fact, we didn't practice passing on many occasions until it got dark. And then we drive cars up, turn on headlights, and that's when we practice our passing. <laughs> Yeah, well, and it's odd because he played quarterback, but he just—he really believed in the run, you know. We did a few things, and we did it well. You know, don't make mistakes, don't beat yourself. You know, you do a few things, you learn the techniques, and you run the same play over and over and over. We might run the same play five, six times in a row. To work, you can sure bet we're going to run again. You know, well, yeah, it wasn't unusual for him to go off on somebody on the sideline and then put an arm around him, give him a hug. <laughs> just, he was just a very intense competitor, even though he had been a quarterback. And in college, uh, he was much more suited personality-wise as a defensive coach. Uh, he, he really got into that. Uh, you know, if you went to church, he was always uh, doodling football stuff on a pad. Or if you took a road trip, he had a yellow legal pad that he just kept drawing defenses. I mean, the whole trip, that's what he did. Good <laughs> plays. A lot of times, it was the same thing over and over and over again, but he was, you know, he was all about uh, defense. He was all about, you know, being a good person and doing things the right way. There was no doubt in his mind that we were going to be winners and we were going to, you know, win big. And when losing was not an option in his book. And he'd always, he'd been very, very successful except the one year 
uh, at Jackson High School. Uh, so I mean, he was he was used to winning, and he expected to win. If that wasn't you, you were in the wrong place. <laughs> we worked hard. He worked our butts, you know. Back at that time, you played both offense and defense. So uh, and a lot of things they don't let you do anymore. You did that. So one thing that I remembered is we pushed that seven man sled forever until <laughs> you can hardly stand up anymore. So we did that, and we had a lot of drills. You know, put a guy in the middle of a ring, and uh, you know, you call out a number, and that person runs at you, blasts you, call on that number. So you never knew where it was coming from, but you knew it was coming. Or go three against one kind of things, you know. Get tough, get in there, find a way, you know. It's not always fair when you play. Or uh, line up somebody every five yards that length the football field, and uh, you get the football, and you run, and you get tackled by every one of those guys, you know. <laughs> so it, it was just different thing. Next up is Jim Brandle, also from Skip's first team and a 1965 Central grad. My first introduction to Coach Skipper was a letter that I received before coming to Central in the fall of 1961. And in it, he laid out the things that we needed to do before we arrived on campus. And that was be able to run a mile in less than six minutes because he was going to do that uh, on one of the first days, going to test us. Well, I, one of my attributes has never been speed <laughs> or uh, long-distance running endurance, but uh, I, I began to train. And when I arrived on campus, that was the first time I, I, I ever met Skip. He had been appointed head coach, I think, sometime during the spring or early summer of 1961. And uh, he was a very charismatic guy, had a big personality. He welcomed me. He immediately said that I was going to be assigned a roommate that was also a center. That was my position, so that we could fight it out in the, in the room. <laughs> well, little did I know that the fellow that was assigned to me, he and I became close friends, and we ended up being roommates for all four years of our college experience. But, well... And then uh, I'd go to the very first game that Skip coached as a college coach. It was, a, it was the opening of our season. Uh, we played down at Mount Pleasant against Iowa Wesleyan College. And I can remember going down there, and we played in an old fairgrounds. And it was a terrible field. And lo and behold, we lost. Skip's, you know, introduction to college football was a loss, which is never something that Skip wanted to be remembered for. And the thing that always highlights my memory of that was not so much the game or, or the, uh, that experience, but the Monday that followed. We learned very quickly that if you lose a game, you're going to pay for it the following Monday because the practice that he put us through was grueling. And it was a lot. It was a, an object lesson that I think really said a lot about Skip. First, you know, he just wouldn't tolerate losses, and secondly, the reason you lost was you didn't try hard enough. And so uh, that was a learning lesson for all of us. And I think it, it, uh, you can say, well, he coached through fear. Well, it was more than fear. I mean, yes, we didn't <laughs> didn't look forward to Mondays after a loss, but. We knew what was coming, and we knew probably the reason why it was coming. So that's, that's one of my very first memories of Skip. I ended up uh, playing for him for all four years. 
I played uh, center, and then he switched me to middle guard and middle linebacker. And uh, my senior year, another highlight that I can remember, and I, I used to talk with a dear friend, Mark DeCook, who passed away. Mark, was, uh, Mark played a linebacker with me, and he was a year ahead of me. And when we'd get together on occasion, he'd always reminisce about games. And I'd look at Mark and I'd say, boy, I, I don't have that memory, Mark. I can't remember those kind of details. But he could come up with, with great stories and, and then jog my memory. Well, um, the, but the one game that I do remember was my senior year. We were, we were undefeated at that point, And we were to play Wartburg. And Wartburg was a good team, but we thought, we've got this. Well, we ended up losing that game. And, I, and again, I don't remember the score. The thing that I do remember is after the game, we went back to the dressing room, and usually Skip was there, and no Skip. Well, my wife, uh, Sue, was a cheerleader at the time. And, of course, everybody was very emotional after that game. And she said she saw Skip hop over a fence at the, at the end of the, uh, of the football field and there was a railroad track on this one end, and maybe it's still there, I don't know, at Wartburg Stadium, and walk down the railroad track, pick up stones and throw in stones because he was so frustrated. <laughs> so those are a couple of, 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 of examples of Skip's intensity. Here's Steve Langrude, class of 1967, recalling some of the early success that Skipper's Dutch had on the field. Guys in my class uh, that graduated in 67, football season 64, 65, 66, we were Iowa Conference champs. And the following year, again, so guys that came in a year after me, the four years that they, were, that they played, they were all, every one of them was Iowa Conference which is what it was called at the time, the Iowa Conference Champions. If I may be almost melodramatic, the dynasty began. There were people on that field that had the other uniform on that were far better than we were, but they weren't as prepared. And come the fourth quarter, usually, if we were in striking distance, we were pretty confident that we were going to win, in part because we didn't want to lose because we knew what Monday would be like. That, we had that experience my sophomore year, which would be 1964. Uh, we were cruising along, thinking about an undefeated season. We went up to Waverly, and Wartburg was not a good team, but they beat us six to nothing. We were in shock. Everybody's upset. Um, and, of course, this is late, and we had one more game left, one more game, and the season was over. And, of course, this time of the year, uh, practice was mostly with sweats. You had your pads on maybe Wednesday and Thursday, but other than that, it was sweats. Had your helmet and that was it, light practices. Well, there was a notice on the locker room door that Monday, full gear. And every drill that a football player hates, fumble recovery, uh, you name it, we were doing it. And nobody was happy, nobody was friendly. It was announced that we were going to scrimmage. This is on Monday. And I said to the trainer, I says, well, it's almost dark. And he says, no, stadium lights were on. 
Monday and Tuesday we had that kind of a practice with a scrimmage, and it was first-team offense versus first-team defense. The scrimmages were grim. And then the atmosphere completely changed. On Wednesday, it was everybody with the coaching staff was all smiles. It was sweats. Thursday the same, Friday the same, and we beat William Penn on Saturday 55 to nothing. <laughs> so point well taken. You didn't want to lose. Um, for us, uh, the class of academic class of 67, our football season 66, preseason, we were tabbed to be a conference champ, as was Luther. And um, homecoming that year was, for us, was Luther. And um, they were undefeated coming down here, and we were undefeated. And um, it was really an exciting ball game. Had all sorts of things, excitement, kickoff return for a touchdown, and so on and so forth. That um, they were ahead, we were ahead, and battled back and forth. But come the second half, um, uh, we prevailed. And I think the final score was 29-14, something along those lines. And then we won the next two games. So that was the first undefeated season for Ron. And uh, we, went, we were awarded with that season. We were selected to play in the NAI Playoff Bowl. That was the first taste of our nemesis, Whitewater. <laughs> But that was just a, a real, real fun time. And, uh, and for Coach Skipper, that was sort of the, the building, the foundation. And every season since then has been a winning season, um, some not a championship, and carried over from Coach Kakmarinski into Coach McMartin. I guess to what extent does, did, did he have the intention of, of this being a football power? Yeah, I'm sure he did. I, every, every year, I think he thought that we, we should be fighting for the championship. If not, what are we doing out there? Um, and when things were disappointing, um, he had a tendency, he had phrases that he would use. Uh, as I said, he was not a profane man, but they were, in hindsight, they were so comical. You know, you talk about things weren't going right, you know, it was, for crap's sake, man of Shevitz, hallelujah. Out there chasing ducks, scratching your fanny. What are you doing out? You know, it went on like that, and you could. It was hard to keep a straight face if he was chewing on you. That's sort of what he would. He had these phrases that he would use to express his displeasure. Another 1967 grad, Jim Henderson, came back to coach with Skip about a decade later, and he has many stories from both his time as a player and a coach. As a player, I, I uh, made the traveling squad as a freshman and finally got into a football game at, at Simpson. We beat Simpson really bad, like 62 to nothing. And so the freshman finally got in the football game. And on the first play, uh, I got whacked in the face and uh, kind of bleeding and everything. And it was right in front of Skipper. And I was looking up at him thinking he had say something sympathetic. And he said, Welcome to college football. <laughs> and, uh, and so I guess that was my welcome to college football, getting hit in the mouth. Uh, but he, he was uh, he, he was just a demanded excellence from us as a player and, and coaches. And uh, that, that was throughout his entire thing. And, and being on his uh, coaching staff was a, a thrill. It was like going to a coaching clinic, you know, every day. And because he was just – 
you know, he's obviously, I mean, he was recognized as one of the best coaches in the nation. And you don't know that as, as a high school kid going there and you just uh, got the lucky straw, you know, to be around him and, and under his influence. I remember at, uh, a meeting that, that Skip had with me and the defensive coordinator and, and we were uh, trying to decide uh, who would make the traveling squad. And of course, oh, you get down to the last just few, the, the first I think with that time we're taking 45 and the first 40 is pretty easy. And then all of a sudden you get down and, and I remember I said that I wanted to take uh, it was a freshman quarterback and Skip said, well, he probably won't get in the game, but why, why do you want to take him, Jim? And I said, uh, I said, coach, this kid is really good. He's got great potential. And uh, Skip looked at me and said, coach, I don't need potential. I need performance. <laughs> and so uh, I never mentioned guys having potential again at any of our at of any of our meetings, trying to uh, you know decide who went and who, who who stayed and everything. And as we progressed as a team, we started uh, throwing the ball a lot more. Uh, when I played there, golly, we threw two or three times a game. That was about uh, our max, you know. And the big story with Skip was only three things. Three things happen if you throw the ball, and two of them are bad. So we just we just didn't throw the ball very much, which is really good because I couldn't throw the ball very well. Anyway, so it was good that we had a, a run offense, but we started uh, throwing the ball lots more. And then I remember in one game, he uh, skipped as we were walking off the field, said, Coach, because he would allow me to call the offensive uh, plays. And he said, Boy, we. We threw a, we threw the ball a lot today, uh, Jim. What what's the deal? And I and I and I, he said you didn't throw that much when you were you were a head coach. And I I said no, but then I was playing with my record. Now I'm playing with yours, and I, I feel a little bit more you know <laughs> easy with it. And of course that's not true because uh, Skip won so much that I think the rest of us, if we did lose a game, you just took responsibility for it because. You couldn't imagine him losing. He just won so much. And one of the years I was there, we were uh, uh, four and four going in the last game and played Simpson the last game of the year. And uh, I don't think I slept hardly at all that week. I was just so concerned. We just had to win because Skip couldn't have a losing season. That just it would be our fault instead. And we did win that game. And I was just so relieved that that we didn't. You know, he didn't have. Of course, you know the story. He never had a losing season the 36 years he was there. And so uh, you sure want to keep that in intact. Now let's hear from Larry Embling, class of 1968. He was, I mean, probably one of the best coaches I've ever encountered and, you know, just a super individual. But boy, he he was a student of the game and he, I, I just can't say enough about him as far as what he taught me in the four years I played. And then I also, after going away for a year, I came back and coached with him, um, coached the 74 championship team and uh, just had a great experience with him, not only as a player, but as assistant coach. And I went to church with them, and yeah, so I kind of I kind of knew them very well over the years that I was working at Central and played at Central. But just really an intense individual. If he could sense that we were not practicing at the level we should be practicing, you knew it. And you ran the hill, and I mean, if we had to run the play, and I was defense, um, but if he, if they had to run the play against the defense fifteen times to get it right, he would do it. So it just it just he wanted perfection, and it was a simple perfection because it wasn't a hard defense to understand and I mean he, he just made sure we were hustled all the time and that's why we won four championships in four years. 
I just marveled at his ability to to bring a group of, of coaches together, to gel them into a, a unit, and then to bring each year to bring a whole you know a group of athletes together and determine the the playing abilities, get them in the right positions, and get them to do the things he wanted to do. He just was a mastermind, and his record shows it. Alex Gland graduated from Central in 1969, then got his start in coaching with Skip. He eventually became head coach at Simpson in 1980 and coached against his mentor five times, going one and four. Of course, it's the one from 1983 he remembers most fondly. At the time, you know, Simpson's always been the uh, big rivalry for years and years. And that rivalry came down when Skipper was there. I think he was 27 and zero when I played him, and we actually won. We caught him, and just uh, it was funny because we had a lot of young kids and just a, a sprinkling of some older talent. And the film that we exchanged with uh, Coach Kipper, I think we'd opened it with Co that year. And it's the first time we'd ever lost to Co. We had a new offense, and uh, we went to the spread, and, and then he called it the air raid offense. And it's a fun offense. Uh, putting in that new offense and playing co, we had five lost fumbles, and we just looked terrible on film. Well, that's the film I had to give Skipper. And the week before we played Skipper, we had um, St. Ambrose at our place, at, at Simpson. And they were ranked like eighth or ninth in the NAIA. And I think after he looked at those films, I don't think he sent any coaches to even look at that game because we knocked him off. <laughs> we, had, we had made some changes, and we really came a long way in one week. And you could just kind of tell oh, the way people were warming up in that game that uh, uh, <laughs> they had spent a lot of time watching this a team that could hardly hike the ball, and all of a sudden they were beating people. And uh, it just seemed like everything we did that day went right. I think the first half we had 312 yards total offense, score was 17 to nothing. I knew the second half was going to be a little tougher, and it was. And the score ended up 17 15. It wasn't any big route. There were some tense moments there, but. Uh, we ended up winning that game, and it was over at, it was at Central, which is even different. But I can remember after the game, and Skipper uh, kind of worked his way through the crowd and reached up and said, nice game, Alex. He always said that, that was the opening conference game of the year. That was the best thing that happened to him because that was the wake-up call. And, of course, they went on to win the conference that year. Uh, he's on one of those streaks. And nothing about the tactical part that he ever wanted to talk about, but uh, gave us credit for waking his team up and helping him win the conference. Here's Mike Street, class of 1975, sharing a couple of his favorite stories from Coach Skipper on the field. Our senior year, uh, when we were waiting to go uh, to the championship game, we uh, it had snowed out. I can't give you any dates, but anyway, so we had practice in the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, everybody was a little, little testy, I'd say. And, and uh, so I, we were supposed to go about half or three-quarter speed, and I felt like this one lineman had, had, for some reason, hit me harder than he needed to. So it made me, I mean, I just kind of flew off, which I'm not in the habit of doing that. So it kind of even shocked me, but I just 
grabbed him and forearmed him three or four times, and I was mad. And Skip come over and grabbed me, and, <laughs> and to my amazement, he actually lifted me off my feet and said, knock it off, and <laughs> I forget what all else, because I was just kind of at all. But, uh, so, I, you know, the guy had a lot of strength. But uh, even later in that practice, and Al Dornkamp and, and Dan Wright, they got into it. So I think it was, everybody was a little chippy there, getting anxious to, to go down to Phoenix City to the championship game, but uh, and being at six o'clock in the morning, I think that probably had something to do with it too. But Skip and I had probably a better relation. I mean, Skip was not—I uh, don't know how to say this. But Skip uh, didn't interact with a lot of players. People were intimidated by him and uh, didn't speak to him or didn't interact as much as you would think. Uh, well, I was the exception to that. Uh, Coach and I had probably a pretty good relationship that. That uh, I think it was our senior year again. That uh, in two days, uh, Skip was kind of feeling pressure because we knew we had a good team and we knew that maybe we could go far. And, and he was really riding us pretty hard, and and it was backfiring. People were getting bad attitudes and everything else. And and uh, so after practice, I went in and talked to him. I said, Coach, I said, uh, I know what you're trying to do, but I said you're you know you're getting people with bad attitudes and it's backfiring. And, I mean, you know, he would listen to him. And, and so the next practice, coach came out and didn't say a word the whole practice. And everybody was looking around wondering, what the heck was going on? <laughs> what happened to him? I think he looked himself in the mirror and, and understood that uh, what was going on a little bit and, and, uh, and so forth. So, And then another story, I guess, that I uh, uh, Dornkamp loved telling. Of course, he gets a little carried away on some of his stories, but... We were, uh, it was a hot day, and I w- I'd done the kicking also, uh, field goals and extra points and, and so forth. So I would go out, and, and pregame, I'd go out early and do that. And uh, so anyway, then we'd line up, and as everybody, everybody come out, and I was a defensive lineman, so we'd done these 10-yard sprints a little bit and stuff to loosen up. And, and these guys, I thought Coach was getting a little carried away, so I said, Coach, you're going to have a war out before we even start. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, he knocked it off. And, and of course, Dorncap said, he said, the next game, we just kind of come out here and wall around a little bit. We don't want to get, didn't want to get street tired. <laughs> so anyway, another situation, uh, <laughs> again, this is a, a raw freshman, I guess, but uh, we were playing Simpson and it was early in the, early in the season. So it was hot. And we, we put it on Simpson pretty good. And uh, they had some old dressing rooms, which was terrible. And uh, it was hot, like I say, so we showered. And getting done showered down in there, we were, I was sweating about as much as before I showered and afterwards. So I come out of that little dungeon area, I call it. I had some steps going up. And I've got my coat, uh, <laughs> carrying my coat, my shirt about half unbuttoned, just trying to cool off, you know. And boy, old Skip come unglued when he seen me. He said, get back down there and dress like you should be. <laughs> so, you know, and back then we were actually um, uh, given red blazers to wear. So we all had, I don't know what their tradition is now, but we all had red blazers. Uh, so he wanted us all to look good and, and be the same. And, of course, we were busting back home. So it didn't matter how hot it was or, or it was after the game or before the game. But uh so anyway, I kind of, as a freshman, I kind of, oh, oh, I fouled up there. But he was a, he's an excellent coach. Um, and, you know, and of course, his, one of his favorite sayings was uh, faith, family, and football. That was the three, three uh, important things in that order. So 
he was, uh, and he, and he, uh, he lived it. I guess uh, another story would be my freshman year. Uh, I was on the kickoff team and, uh, I had a guy nail me and I jumped up and I got nailed again and, and then, cause I, you know, I love to be a, love to get the tackle and, and as I come off, old, old Skip met me at, uh, I went by him or whatever. He says, boy, they really nailed you, didn't they? <laughs> and how he, you know, why he ever picked me out or seen that, I don't know. But anyway, I, thought, I was kind of surprised that he mentioned that. But they did. They had me, they blindsided me and got me good. But uh, another story along that line would be, since I was the kicker, extra points, uh, we were beating somebody pretty bad. I'm thinking it's probably Dubuque or Upper Iowa or somebody like that. And anyway, so I said, Coach, I haven't really ran for a two-point conversion yet. I said, I think I'll give that a try. What do you think? He said, I'll go for it. So anyway, I, I took off. I went to the huddle and said, boys, we're going to run a fake, and I'm going to run around left end and so forth. So I, I did, and I thought I, had, I thought I was in, and all of a sudden this guy came up there and just blasted me. And I come about a foot short, and, Skip says that I got off and come to the sideline. He says, boy, you thought you had it, but you didn't, did you? <laughs> so he got, he got kind of a kick out of that. But uh, anyway, so that's the kind of relationship that, that I enjoyed with, with Coach. One of Street's 1975 classmates was John Hanna, who has a painful memory from the 1974 national semifinals at Evansville. There was a diversionary play where I was playing wide receiver, and, and I just had to go over the middle, take everybody kind of with me, and we were going to flare out to our halfback. Uh, Veltheisen, we were going to throw a, a little swing pass just to get a first and 10. You know, it's like second and nine or second and eight or something like that. Just a little, just a little flare pass to the left. And, and that loose end picked up Veltheisen. So Cutler looked over, Cutler's quarterback, he looked over to me in the middle and he threw it. Now, if you remember back in the day when we were winning all these games in the, in the middle 70s, it was like spearing was okay. <laughs> you could leave with the helmet. You know, there wasn't any kind of flag or anything like that. So I had triangular fire. on. The, I went up and planted and went as high as I could. Caught the ball, but I had a middle linebacker's helmet hit me in the sternum and separated it. I had the strong safety hit me in the back right ribs and cracked three ribs. And, and, uh, and then the other guy was uh, wherever he was, the cornerback that was on me. And they stood over me and they were like taunting me as I couldn't get a breath because I was like just totally blown out. And I was on the field for laying down for probably 20 minutes. And I and I finally got up and I walked off the field knowing that there was some serious damage. I didn't know about collapsed lung or anything, but I was I was seriously banged, banged out pretty badly. And I walked off and Skip came and met me and tapped me, tapped me on the ribs and said, just a wind, huh? Just a wind. <laughs> Like it was just the wind that I got knocked out of me. No, coach, I think it's a little more serious than that. And even though I had a, a heart that would want to play for the guy, I would have run through a brick wall for him. I don't think that would have worked very well. <laughs> Dave Dahlstrom graduated from Central in 1981, having spent his four years as an equipment manager for the Dutch. While some people might think that role would put him at the bottom of the totem pole, Dahlstrom, who grew up in Waverly, says Skip never let him feel that way. One of my favorite weeks of every football season was Wartburg week because everybody on the team, including the coaches, you know, and especially Coach Skipper, knew that uh, this was Wartburg week. And the last couple of years I was there, why it was always, come on, let's win this game against Wartburg for Dahlstrom. You know, it's kind of like, it was almost like he dedicated the week to me. And I, you know, I, I got the biggest chuckle out of that. And I could honestly say in the four years that uh, I worked for Coach Skipper and 
and the team, we never lost to Wartburg. He mentioned you in a way that he appreciated it. He was he was a very humble man, but he was very straightforward. He was intense. And I say to this day, he was probably the sharpest football mind I have ever met in my life. One of the funniest things, the first road game as a freshman, Central had just gotten the kicking net. And our first game was at Northwestern in Orange City uh, on a Saturday night. And the only thing that I was kind of sort of responsible for was the kicking net. Well, push comes to shove, the kicking net never made it on the bus. Stip was not too happy about that when he figured out that the kicking net was, you know, we didn't have it. So Northwestern loaned us their kicking net for that one. And thank goodness we won that game 26 to 7. So it kind of came back as no harm, no foul. But that was a team where, you know, here I am a freshman. I'd see these juniors and seniors, guys like Paul Miller and Don Taylor. They were all an intense bunch and Skipper just had a way with people both on and off the field of relating to them. And he was tickled pink. He always wanted to make sure at halftime why we always cut up a whole bunch of oranges uh, and serve those and, and water. Skip didn't want anybody to know that he'd have a little orange or two, but he always would have, you know, a little quarter or a little half, but, it was just a fun routine. He, he was <laughs> probably the thing that I remember, and, and I'll never forget this, and I didn't start noticing this probably until maybe about 1979, but he always was out on the field. He had that little about three-foot space that he'd always be out on the field. And, you know, the coaches would tell him to, you know, get back on the field. The officials would tell him to get back, you know, behind the sideline and so on. So he, kind of ignored the officials, but did relate to the coaches. But there was always at Central's home field, you could see by the end of the season, the path where it'd start out kind of like along the sideline. And then all of a sudden, he'd go out the field a little bit and then go back. He literally wore a path up and down on the, on the football field. And that was that was just amazing to me. He just He was that intense. He could be walking to the north. And the play would be going to the south, and he could whip around and tell you everything that was happening and so on and so forth and already have his next play called. Very, very sharp football mind. Don DeWard came to Central in the late 70s, was a member of the class of 82, then became Skip's longtime defensive coordinator. Well, I've certainly got a lot of stories. I was fortunate enough to coach with him for 18 years and then had another relationship with him after that until he passed away but uh so yeah i got a i got a whole lot of stories so to pick out the best ones but as far as on the field stories um you know one of the one story uh that i think about is uh we we were playing over at uh, loris one year i think it was in the 90s yeah it had to be early nine mid 90s and there was a place uh we always ate pregame meal in Dyersville. We'd stay in a Super 8 hotel and then we'd go to Dyersville to this restaurant. We'd have breakfast there. Well, it was a really good place to eat. And so uh, it was kind of a hot day, I remember. And so we uh, 
and they had a buffet for breakfast. Well, you know, you throw a buffet in front of football players, even though it's 930 in the morning, they tend to want to eat a lot. So they we we did uh, t- destroy the buffet pretty well. So anyway, the game's at 1 o'clock. So we travel over to Dubuque. We, we uh, you know, dress. We get out. We play. Well, we're not playing well at all in the first half, and it's it's hot. And we, you know, we were better than Loris, but we weren't playing really well. And uh, Coach Skipper on the sideline, and he could get a little bit animated at times. <laughs> but uh, this is such a funny story uh, because, yeah, it was hot and we were not playing well. And he just he just exploded somewhere along the line and uh, just started yelling at everybody about uh, – did you enjoy those biscuits and gravy and all that kind of stuff? No. <laughs> Needless to say, we never had the buffet after that. It was always a plated meal after that. But uh, that was, you know, that's just a great story. It was just him. Uh, uh, he just was upset about how the game was going, how we were playing. <laughs> and so he was reminding the guys that they were sluggish because they ate too much breakfast, which probably wasn't true. But at that point in time, uh, it, it was uh, the story that he was going to stick with. And and uh, so anyway, that was a great story. Another, another really good story, too, is... Um, and this happened to be in Loris again. Uh, I don't remember what year it was. It was we had a delay at halftime, a thunderstorm. I, maybe you were already there then. Uh, this is a story about C- Coach Skipper. But anyway, uh, we had two. We were like two hours. It started. To, we just left the field at halftime, so we're in there for two hours at halftime, waiting for the lightning to stop, and so we could resume the game. And so we were trying to figure out how to how to keep the guys loose and not think about all kinds of stuff. And so I told a story, uh, it was a joke story, and used Coach Skipper as the uh, as the kind of the punchline in there about a, a, a pretty good story. But anyway, the guys, most of those, it was after he was retired and probably after his after he passed. I don't remember exactly what year it was. But, of course, everybody that's been involved in Central College football always knew about Coach Skipper, heard a lot of stories. So uh, when I used him as the uh, as the punchline, uh, the guys were pretty excited about that. Got a, got a pretty good roar in the in the locker room there at halftime to keep us loose. And I believe we went out and played pretty well in the second half when we eventually got there. Brett Clayberg was a running back for the 1984 Stag Bowl squad. He says that Skip's recruiting process sticks with him all these years later, as does one of his last practices at Central. At Rolling Story High School, we had an exceptional football legacy that had been built there, and we were state champs and blah, blah, blah. Kind of thought we were all hot stuff. And, and I remember when uh, uh, coaches would come in, you know, they would really play up most of the time they would really play up to, you know, what big studs, you know, that, you know, you were and blah, blah, blah. And boy, we sure would like to have you. And, and, and just all of this kind of stuff. And, and I remember with coach Skipper, you know, this, this handsome guy comes in and, you know, immediately starts asking us questions uh, about the season. And then, uh, and then he asked a question, which I thought was peculiar because he, he asked us, you know, how much money do I hope to make in the professional football league? And then I kind of looked at my buddy and my other buddy and we kind of, you know, we weren't, 
total idiots. I mean, we probably knew we weren't destined for that, but he very quickly and just a kind of way took the conversation away from the professional thing. And then he immediately launched into, he goes, all right, yeah. So maybe the professional rank isn't going to be for you guys. He goes, so let's talk about the things that really matter about, you know, what kind of a husband you're going to be, what kind of a father you're going to be, what kind of a community person are you going to be? And, you know, his recruiting spiel was always, I'm going to recruit kids and we're going to, you're going to be a, a, a gentleman, a student and an athlete in that order. I, I found it kind of refreshing because part of it, I mean, all of it rang very, very true, but it was so completely different than anything else. You know, Coach Skipper basically, you know, turned it back on, on its head and put college back and football back where it was supposed to be. And then as I was thinking through there, you know, really, you know, I think his great success was that he knew how to build uh, trust and he was angling for a, you know a, a deeper connection um, not necessarily uh, from you know coach to necessarily to individual but in the concept concept of uh, having a team I think he was a master at you know bringing young men together and you know I remember him talking about if you can't love the guy right next to you on the defensive line and if you can't find a camaraderie where you will fight for him and, and him for you. And if you don't have that kind of a regard, I remember him saying you can never be a great football team. And so I think he recruited kids that were, that the message resonated with them to that effect because the kids that didn't get uh, pampered uh, by him, they didn't come and, and coach Skip didn't want them there. The last one, well, he was always a competitor, a big time competitor. And I remember one day, it was my senior year, we were, we were in the playoffs and we were getting ready for practice. And I was out there and I had a football in my hand and coach Skip was, was, was walking. I said, coach, go deep. And I'll be darned. He didn't just bust into uh, a little bit of a run. And so I fired a ball uh, over to him and he just reached out with the, the one hand and just, and just caught the ball with just his one hand. And I said, holy cow. I said, I'd like to see you try to do that again. And he goes, so try me. And so uh, we did exactly the same thing. And I, I rifled one in there and he goes, and just reached out and, and you know, it's, he had big hands, but not only, uh, you know, he was a, a dude in his own right, you know, and he was mid fifties, I suppose at that point in time. But I, I always thought that was, uh, I, I kind of gained a, a, a different appreciation for him there, you know, cause that, that was, that's a hard thing to do to, to on the run, grab a ball out of the air you know, with one hand, but he did it. He did it twice. And so I know that he was a, a football player back in his own day. Here's Darren Hinker, class of 1986, remembering Skip getting caught in the crossfire one day during practice. In the 85, 86 range, we had an individual on our football team by the name of Todd Dawes. And, and Todd was basically a linebacker playing quarterback. He was he was a, a very well-built, strong individual and he had a cannon for an arm and Todd's favorite favorite part of practice was when we ran slant patterns and he would send unwitting and unwilling freshmen across the middle and proceed to just pepper them with passes that would ricochet off of shoulder pads and helmets and hands and chests and things of that nature and 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 Todd is a, a great guy a great friend of mine and and uh I remember a, a practice where uh, he was doing that during one of our drills. And, and as often happened with, with uh, some of the receivers and Todd, we, we, we had a ball that got past someone and proceeded to skip perfectly off the ground. And Coach Skipper, unaware, was standing off to the side and saw it coming at the last moment out of his peripheral and tried his best to fend it off with a hand. 
But Todd's ball had a pretty good velocity on it, and it proceeded to strike him um, in a vulnerable place, let's say. And uh, and, and I, I can visualize Coach Skipper trying his best to maintain his composure and to uh, to try and you know, not double over as most of us would have done getting struck by something like that. And, uh, just, uh, kind of wave towards, uh, towards Todd and, and, and the receiver and just say, you know, Hey, let's, let's work on that connection next time. And then proceeded to turn his back and walk away. And, you know, we didn't see him for probably the next two or three minutes as he was, he was trying to recover from that moment. So it, it was, it was uh, a great testament to, to, uh, the, the persona that he, he wanted to make sure that he maintained with us in, in all aspects of it and, and, uh, and how an individual like that kind of reacted to a, to a moment where, uh, where he was a little bit exposed. Fellow 86 grad Jeff Staten has a couple of short stories about Coach Skipper's quirks. I can see him right now. He'd be, he always would talk about being a, and you know, three things. I want you to be a student, an athlete, and a gentleman. But many times he'd get confused and he'd put two fingers up instead of three. and uh so we would we would kind of tease him about that a little bit you know he coached for so long the other thing that he would do that we'd razz him about is he would have coached fathers and then sons and so he'd often call the son by the father's name and uh that was always humorous eric jones class of 1987 is another former player turned longtime coach we lost two out of our first three games my freshman year and then we didn't lose a regular season game after that. So I never had to go to practice after losing a football game from the third game my freshman year until I graduated. Yeah, we lost five games in four years, and uh, three of them to, were to teams that won national championships. Well, first of all, he was <laughs> he was a 5-2 guy, and he was committed that. He knew 5-2, he knew how to make the adjustments on the 5-2, and he was very organized and systematic on how he approached that. But he always would say, he, Jimmy's and Joe's and not X's and O's, you know. And so getting the right people to play the right positions and have the right demeanor demeanor and right values in order to get that done. And so when I was in school, and I, I, you know, I think it was like this before I was in school, but, you know, he recruited a bunch of linebackers and put them out on the field. And then linebackers, some of them stayed at linebackers, but some of them went to defensive end and some went to defensive tackle. And we just had a bunch of speed out there and he knew what to do with that speed. And so that was, that was part of it. But to, to motivate the players to play at a high level was another thing, you know. You didn't want to disappoint them. He would care about you as a person. And then with that, because you knew that he cared about you, he could he could ride on you he could challenge you he could you know set these expectations and say if you didn't reach it he was going to chew on you a little bit but you always knew that he cared about you and so you were willing to take that because you you knew that he had your best interests in mind and so i always felt like you know i was always amazed that he knew his players as well as he did he knew what buttons to push and from my perspective i felt like Man, I just didn't want to let him down. I didn't want to disappoint him. I was winning this game for him as much as anybody else. I love Coach Skipper, and I love my high school football coach, but they were completely different people. And when I was in high school, we had this hill that was right next to the practice field. We called it Profanity Hill. And every time you cussed, you had to run up that hill. And at the end of practice, my my, my brother, who is now a minister, and the head football coach, 
would have to run up that hill, you know, 15 to 20 times a, a day because they spent the whole practice cussing, sometimes cussing at each other. It was kind of comical. And then I come to Central, and it was a little bit of a shift in culture because Coach Skipper never cussed. I mean, when I say never, one time he cussed in practice, and he had an apology letter up on the board the next day. And I'm going, I don't even remember him cussing. You know? and, and so it was just a completely different way of getting things done. And it led me to realize that you can set high expectations and articulate what you want to get done, and you don't have to. You know, he would call, he would say things like, you know, he would call people Clem Cadilly hoppers. I'm going, what is a Clem Cadilly hopper? I, I don't know what it was, but when a referee was a Clem Cadilly hopper, that means he probably wasn't doing a very good job out there. Dave Gray was also a member of the class of 87. And one thing he remembers is that Skip didn't fault players for physical errors, but mental mistakes were another issue. Not all players had the skills or the wherewithal or the ability to do certain things. Uh, but mental errors were always uncalled for. They were not tolerated. And, and, and for me, it, you could fit into that thing because there's so many different physical abilities and so many different positions. And, and he stayed true to that. I mean, he, he never blasted anybody for what appeared to be a physical error. It was either effort or it was either a mental, you know, where are you going and why. There was more than one occasion where he was – overly excited about someone hitting the opponent laid out of bounds on a third and long, you know, and, uh, and then chastising them and sitting them on the bench and then, and then, you know, kind of putting his arm around him. That happened more than once. I, I, I don't know who was the individual, the perpetrator that was uh, late hitting someone out of bounds on those third and long plays, but did Probably you get that? you. Oh, well, okay, okay, maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> okay. so. It took me a minute um, to put that together, okay. yes. It was, it was uh, an element of how can you do something, and, and uh, I hate to be the one that that's what I'm remembered for, but, you know, running from one side of the field to the other, I'm, I'm going to hit him, and I didn't run all this way for nothing, so um, he didn't like that. I, I think it's like it's almost sort of father figure type where – the last thing you want to do is disappoint him. And when he comes over and he fights through the, all the kids standing at the field and he comes to the bench and he's, 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 he's spelling it out for you. You know, he had a very mathematical mind where, you know, it was third and long and he was running out of bounds. Now he had a first down. Now they're getting ready to score. That puts us, you know, that makes us vulnerable. And he, he made it very clear. Lori Sutton Flynn was an All-American softball pitcher, leading the Dutch to a national championship in her senior year of 1988. She says that Coach Skipper, who was also Central's AD, cared deeply about all the sports and all the athletes. He was like a dad to me, actually, which is, says a lot because my dad was my hero and my coach growing up. And I didn't think there was a man on earth that was any better than my dad, which there wasn't. But he was a close second. Uh, he was there for me anytime I ever needed anything. And I knew it. I just felt safe on campus knowing he was there if I ever needed something. You know, my first season there as a freshman, I think our spring trip, we went, oh, and 
a million. And I came back and talked to Coach Wares and he pumped me up a little bit saying, this isn't going to be terrible. And Coach Skipper called me in and we had the same conversation about how Coach Wares is going to turn this around. You're going to be successful. And he just had so much faith in me. And he was just such a huge fan of the game the entire time I was there from the first game to the last. He came to every game. He was always there. Anytime you were down, he'd be the guy to come and kind of build you up. And I even remember after getting single-handedly losing the conference championship my senior year, he came to find me and I hid from him because I knew I thought I didn't want to listen to him. And so he came down and my catcher came to find me and I said no. And he came and found me himself. And we just had a little pep talk and his words, which you wouldn't expect this to be from somebody you admire so much, but his first words to me were, stop feeling sorry for yourself. There's there's a million girls out there that love to be in this position that you're in. This is a this is a chance to build and learn for a lifetime. And I can't tell you how many times I've used that expression with my own kids. Like, stop feeling sorry for yourself. This you're in the perfect situation. You've got everything going for you. And just because times are tough right now, you know, pull yourself together and let's do this. So I always admired that. One of them, which I thought was funny, I was struggling like my sophomore year with. I just all of a sudden fell apart. I couldn't get a strike across the plate and. So he came and it was on campus. He found me somewhere. I was coming home from the library and we just walked around and we went down and well, he liked to go down the track. So we'd walk around the track and he was saying, you know, you got to focus. And he said, you got to get the ball back in your hand and, and get on that mound and start visualizing. And I said, coach, you don't know a thing about pitching, do you? And he goes, not a dead gum thing. <laughs> and gave me the giant hug that he gives you that's bone crushing. And he just what you know, it's just, he was always there and wanted to help whether he knew anything about it or not. But that that's him, you know, just trying to be supportive no matter what. I hope everybody knows how supportive he was of everyone. And it didn't have to be his way. Um, I mean, he just wanted to help you. For example, at the end of my senior year, I got a call from Athletes in Action, which is a I, an organization where you can go with them and play softball for the year. And, and he told me and he was so excited about it. And we talked a little bit and I went home and thought, I didn't want to disappoint him in anything. I thought, how do I tell this guy that I don't want to I don't want to do this. I just want to go be a teacher and I'm done with my, you know, I love my experience, but I'm not looking to be a professional. So I went down and, and Gert found a time for me and I talked to him and, and I said, I'm going to disappoint you and this is going to hurt you and it hurts me to hurt you. But he said, I am so happy for you. I, this is exactly, he said, if you don't want to do that, don't do it. I want you to do what you want to do. So he was that guy that just really wanted what was best for you. And I think of him still today in so many situations in life where I think, you know, this this is something that Skipper would be really proud of. And that was, I always wanted to make him proud because I knew he cared. And I love the man and, and I miss him. I miss him dearly. Clay Thompson graduated Central in 1989 and remembers Skip's ability to keep things simple as a defining characteristic. One of the things that I still marvel about is just how intense and, and focused in, in the moment that he was. And, you know, again, having worked with, you know, different leaders over different stages of life and different parts of my career, uh, he was the first guy I ran across that really had that degree of intense focus. And I've just run across it a couple times since. And, and, and those guys are always just extremely successful. And I think, you know, one of the things that leads to is the ability to uh, make things really simple. And, you know, in terms of on the field, yeah, I just I remember uh, playing both strong safety for a couple years and then switching positions um, about two years in to uh, defensive end. And just coincidentally, he switched his position responsibilities on, on the same time frame. So so he was my position coach, I think, all four years that I, I, I was on the team at Central. And 
he had a knack of just keeping things really simple. I, I still remember, you know, uh, alignment, stance, first step. And, and we would dedicate time and practice nearly every day of the season to just kind of those very simple things. Where do you line up? What's your stance? And, and what's the first step you take? Uh, and, and from there, you know, it's just a matter of defensive football gets pretty simple after that. It's just find the ball and, and tackle the guy. And that uh, ability to kind of boil things down to to its most simple elements is, you know, something that I think great leaders and great people uh, often share. And, you know, I thought about that in in different contexts of, of business and other aspects of life, how, how, what a powerful formula that is to apply, you know, alignment stands first step, <laughs> then let's go. Kari Pingle was an equipment manager for Coach Skip in the Dutch for three years, graduating in 1991. She has a memory from a late season practice. I remember it was cold outside, you know, I was getting close to dinner time and the guys were still running a skeleton drill. And I remember that they were running like an offensive play and I got hit by a running back that was kind of running a reverse play and literally it had thrown me off my feet, kind of onto my back. And I remember kind of looking up at all these players, kind of looking down at me, trying not to cry. And I remember that, you know, Coach Skipper didn't make a big fuss about it. You know, I got back up, kind of gave me a little hug and didn't say too much, just asked if I was okay. But it wasn't until like that next couple of practices and, you know, I'd get teased about, you know, not getting tricked by the reverse. They're all kinds of reverse jokes. <laughs> and so I feel like it was, you know, in those kinds of moments where you just kind of got to know the guy and, and, you know, made us really, and he was an endearing man. Yeah, I would say, you know, as a coach now myself, you know, I've been coaching for about 30 years. I think probably my biggest memories just fall back to those days and my experiences I had working for him and just how he he ran this highly successful program. And where I saw that was in areas of just he ran these really high intense practices, very organized, and they ran like clockwork. A lot of a lot of guys out there and anybody that was involved, you know, with that, those practices were expected to be focused, efficient. You didn't waste time. Everyone, they were very high intensity. And, you know, also I just saw him, you know, surround himself with great assistants. At the time I was there, you know, you had the likes of Don DeWard, Tom Epperly, Jeff Bollard, um, John Edwards, you know, these guys, um, they were incredible. And he surrounded himself with with good men. And then, you know, just having that culture of excellence. And I know you're going to hear it over and over, but, you know, he just demanded hard, hard work of the guys. And then, but he also expected you know, um, to develop character at the same time. And I believe that that was the heart of his program and he lived it. You know, he was, um, just such a good man. And Joyce, his wife, you know, was kind of like a, could be kind of a second mom to us when we would see her, she'd have us over for ice cream. They were just all around the whole people. They developed a family. Emily Hansen Brown helped the Dutch to the Women's Basketball National Championship in 1993 and graduated in 95 after one of the greatest central careers of any player in any sport. She appreciated the fact that Skip supported the women just as much as the men. He loved student athletes who, you know, were just giving their all. And so he was just always a connector and a supporter of, of all those teams. And so he, he was always a fixture in the doorway of a Kuiper gymnasium. Um, I remember, um, you know, him being there during that 93, you know, championship series. And, you know, just like like he was on the football sidelines, just bellowing out coaching phrases. And, and I remember him telling me to play defense, you know, like, like crazy. 
um, a couple of those games. Yeah. He was, um, he was really engaged and um, gave, you know, it felt like as much energy and love and attention to, um, you know, women's sports as, as he did to his, his, his football guys. I mean, I, I, I felt like he, he cared as much for us as he did for, for his football players. And he would get in your business. Um, he was a passionate guy, an intense guy. And you've seen those pictures of him with his arms, you know, on his football players, shoulder pads, and just, you know, right in their faces. I mean, and that's what he would do with us too, as, as women's basketball players, he would get that big arm around our necks and he would just, you know, tell us what we needed to know and encourage us and, you know, tell us to just, you know, stay engaged and to be our best and to go for it. And he was an equal opportunity mentor coach at Central. Back on the football field, here's another all-time Central great, Mark Kakmarinski, class of 96. He was pretty much the same guy during the week via practice. Uh, as he was on game day. You know, things got ramped up a little bit more, but basically the same calm, cool, collective. Uh, you know, obviously, once you stepped on the football field on practice and on game day, it was it was serious business and everything, uh, you know, was attention to detail down to how we warmed up, down to how we practiced, down to how we did the, you know, walk through through the game and all that stuff. So it was just meticulous. And that's what I think a lot of people try so successful because he just, you know, repetitiveness, doing things over and over again. You could never do too many things the right way over and over again. And I think that's what led to, you know, all success was making sure all the little small stuff, uh, you know, the linemen on your stance, you know, how they threw the ball, how you caught the ball, tackled all those things. He was just meticulous on that. And it was the same way. And it wasn't wavering. There was no too, you know, it was never too high and never too low. It was just kind of a constant all right, and never panic mode in him, never saw in all the years I was around him with my brothers and playing for him and watching him afterwards. It was just kind of a uh, even keel coolness to him, just, you know, always there. And that's, you know, a never flinched type of attitude. And that's kind of what, you know, a lot of his people that played for him, all of us that played for him, we saw that and it gave us great confidence and great and gave us great confidence when there was, you know, moments, you know, when you were down uh, in a football game or needed to come back, you, you knew you had that in you and you kind of just kept that trust in us and, and, and the belief that we could go ahead and come back and you know that's, I think that's what you know one attributed all of success was you know there's so many times where we might not have been the best team on the field even the most talented but the belief in ourselves, his belief in us and his discipline and the way his coaching style we won a lot of games and obviously he won a lot of games just by that fact and like I said we weren't always a better team but he ended up 90 as you see his winning percentage 82% or 90 whatever it was won a lot of games and lost very few games because of that attitude and because of his coaching style and how disciplined everyone was and how disciplined his coaching staff was personally he, he was very supportive uh you know almost like a second dad to me uh he helped me get through it was obviously pretty devastating and obviously uh, the, the day i broke my leg the team went on and won 33 nothing or 35 nothing whatever that was and you know went undefeated that season so just like i said his no flinch attitude obviously i wasn't there that day but i was my friends told me about it you know they came out at halftime and uh they took care of business up there and it took care of business the rest of the season and obviously i saw that as you know i was able to go to the game you know, on crutches and, and see how he coached the team and just with great success 
And so, like I said, is this never a French attitude and his support me through the whole season mentally, you know, there were some downtimes for me. And then even in the off season with me coming back for the fifth year and going through the, the medical hardship stuff with the NCAA and the conference, he was super supportive of, of all that and all my decisions. So it was great to have someone to, to ask questions about the process and, and, you know, cause it was a big decision. No, you know, not a lot of people had done that at the time. They come back for a fifth year. Cause you know, I was on, pace to graduate and all that stuff. So uh, just super supportive, uh, like you think he would be. It was just great. Mark Portinger graduated Central in 1998. He spent his first three years with Skip and still remembers the shock when he announced his retirement after the 1996 season. After my junior year is when he retired. And uh, yeah, so that was a huge, I mean, we had no idea that it was going to happen. And then when it did, it was just like crushing unbelievable because you know there's no clues or any, I mean our, our my junior year we had it was a frustrating year we've always had such great defenses and it was statistically one of our worst defenses for a long time you know even when he retired it was just you know it was just so well I don't even know if he wanted to but I think he was just worn out from that year I don't think anyone wanted him to and I think he definitely could have could have kept on going for a while after just like Digliardi up in St. John's but yeah it was a it was it was shocking when he when he retired. I just remember we had a team meeting. We were upstairs at at, at Kuiper there, and everyone gathered, and he got really emotional. And it was just you know it just it blew us away. It was like it it, it was a huge deal, and he, you know he just saw him, and it, it felt like he didn't really want to, but he felt like he needed to. I think you know it was just one of those things where it's like God, this should not be happening. You know he's too good to you know to stop coaching. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it sent shockwaves. I mean, this I, I still have the newspaper, the Des Moines Register, from the day after because it was just such a, a big deal and unexpected. You know, it's one thing when you have bad, you know, year after year after year, uh, but we only had – and it was 7-3 and three was our junior year. That wasn't even – but for Central Sanders at the time, that was terrible. So that, that's the thing, you know, like he was exactly the same thing that he was before. It wasn't like he was forgetting things. The you know, skipper was still so sharp. And, uh, you know, exactly the same then that he was, you know, going up I always knew him. I didn't feel like he had changed or lost a step or anything. That, that was the thing. But I still think, gosh, I think uh, for me, if he could have stayed out a few more years, I just think, you know, that was his life, you know. And as soon as he did that, it was a pretty – I never talked to him after about the adjustment, but I just feel like once you're – you know, he was just – that was his life is affecting, you know, young kids. And I just feel like when he was done, you know, such a hole in your life, you just can't replace what the influence and effect that he had on people. So I'm just so thankful, you know, to have him in my life and that, you know, he just makes such a difference as a coach. He just – I, you know, I know he knew what a difference he made but I even remember like when I was out of college one year he just came up to me the way he was it was so genuine and that's where like for me as a leader I want to be genuine and authentic and the way you know when he talked to me but he was he was honoring his own right too you know he was such a good person but he you know even like you know my girlfriend's situation he was you know he was always I, I just I, I laugh at him because he was so real and he was just like any you know any other guy too it wasn't like he was some absolutely perfect person and I just uh, it was just it was you know he just that rare person that was so authentic and genuine and uh, you just respected him so much. Skip did coach again for the red, white, and blue. Here's Todd Bell who worked with Coach Skipper during his time with the American Football Coaches Association. A gentleman by the name of Patrick Steenberge came to the AFCA in, I guess, 1997 or 98. He runs Global Football. It's a sports travel company and uh, the Mexican College Federation had approached him about putting together an American team to come down and play 
essentially their college national team in, in an event that was played for several years in Mexico, and it wasn't always a U.S.-Mexico thing. It was sometimes a junior college would come down or an NAI school would come down and play this team, but they wanted to play a true national team from the U.S. And when we were approached, we you know, the recommendation was, why don't you use Division three players because they don't really have a true all-star game opportunity. And our executive director at the time, Grant Taft, said, well, if we're going to do this, Skip is going to be the guy that's going to head it up. He's the guy that should coach a team and, and pick it. And that's how we got involved. And I, I worked with him from the first game through the last game he coached in, in 2005. And he would pick the team. I would help, you know, get the logistics coordinated to get all the guys down there and that type of thing. And then he put together a, a staff of, at the time, retired Division three coaches that, you know, that changed every few, you know, every few years. But we essentially put together the first true national team for the sport of football in the United States when we went down there to play. Uh, to play Mexico all those years. The thing that was so neat about it was we were we would only take one one player per school. So you were you were going down there with thirty five to to fifty guys from thirty five to fifty different fifty different schools. So they all played against each other. But unless they played it together in high school, they never played together. And the the thing that I really enjoyed about it was watching Skip and his staff take essentially a bunch of strangers on Sunday. And by the time we got to Saturday, they were a team, which is an incredibly difficult thing to do. And this. While it was an all-star team, it wasn't an all-star game. You know, you go to an all-star game, you can run one, like a couple offensive formations, one defensive formation. This was a real game. We played regular rules. You could, you could run anything you wanted to within the rules, obviously. So they would install an entire offense and defense in basically five days of practice with a bunch of guys that never played together. And it was just truly a remarkable thing to see. And he absolutely enjoyed it. And I, I used to joke that the, the thing he liked, that I think secretly the thing he enjoyed the most about it was you go in the dining room and you see guys from Central Simpson and Wartburg sitting together and they wouldn't wind up trying to stab each other with their forks at the end of the dinner because he just, you know, it, it was just so cool to see kids that have been rivals for four years become friends. And, and I, I know from experience that some of these guys made friendships that, that still last today from these trips. I was with the Coaches Association until 2010, and I got to know a number of coaches from across the country from all different levels, and Skip was without question uh, one of my favorites and a guy that I absolutely enjoyed working with. And He was just, a, he was just very genuine, and um, it was clear uh, the more you're around him how much he cared about his players and how much of a passion he had for, for college football. And you know, probably the greatest compliment you can pay of a coach in any sport is he's the kind of guy you want your kid to play for. And Skip was absolutely that. He truly cared about about his players and his coaches, and it showed. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Dutch Memories Podcast. Watch your feed for the second part of our Skipper Stories series coming in a couple of weeks, where we'll share stories about Ron Skipper, the man, off the field. We'll have a new episode every month or so featuring a player, coach, game, team, or moment in Central College's storied athletic history. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, or Spotify so you never miss an episode, or just check the podcast section at KNIAKRLS.com. Dutch Memories is a KNIAKRLS production. I'm Trevor Castle, and go Dutch!